Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Uh, and Jim, you, you've been uh, on some adventures, haven't you? You've been on the trail yeah. of Jean Moulin. You have. I mean, we, I remember we talked about Jean Moulin a little while ago. Yes. Um, but but I'd never actually been out to Lyon, which is, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been? I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful city. I've been through Lyon. <laughs> Okay, well, it's great. I've and got off the train there and, yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah, I've done all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that, that was my previous experience as well. <laughs> and I went, I, I once went near Lyon for a wedding, yeah. a great mate of mine. And, um, but I'd never really been to the, the heart of it. And it is France's third city, mm. um, if you don't include London. Yeah. And it's, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's that old joke, isn't there? Yeah. About yeah. 600,000 French people being in London. It, it, it's really lovely and it's very atmospheric and, and it's got these two rivers going through it. It's got the Rhone and the Seine. So it's got these liners and there's Vieux Lyon, which has got these things called the Traboul. And the Traboul is uh, are these really, really old walkways. So you, you, you're going down a street and you see this doorway and you open the doorway. Yeah. And instead of being a, going into a house, it's actually a, a, a kind of passageway that's leading from one side of, you know, from one street yeah. to another street. Yeah. yeah. And it's all very hidden and, the, and yeah. it's all quite labyrinthine. And so, you, you know, if you're kind of following the war in the shadows it's quite a it's quite an atmospheric place i yes. mean it's very funny because we had this guy there he was absolutely lovely and she's going well of course you know the resistance were using this and stuff i said what about the police ah. and she said ah yes but the, you know leon has a has a um has a reputation for or you know resistance and rebellion and all this sort of stuff i was thinking well, how interesting yes. that is, because that's all part of the post-war myth, isn't it? Yeah, this idea yeah. that you sort of focus on Jean Moulin as the representative of the, you yeah. know, the cement around which you, 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 yeah. you further your this notion of the true France in the war was the one yeah. of resistance rather than one of Vichy and collaboration. Yeah, but of course. <laughs> You know, it's that famous line was ringing in my ears, or infamous line from Klaus Barbie saying, "You know, I had a very small staff, but I was uh, operating like a general, even though I was a lieutenant in the SS, yeah. because I had two hundred Frenchmen working for yeah. me." Yeah. Well, the Traboul is all very kind of atmospheric and everything, and it's uh, and that's terrific. <laughs> if the resistance are using it, then, yeah, then so yeah. are the, the people who aren't the resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it, amazing. So we went to Doctor Dugujon's house. So, so for, for for those of you, I mean, it was a long time ago that we talked about this. But basically, yes, it, there was the, the ill-fated meeting occurred. The ill-fated meeting, yeah. So George, um, General Delestrand has been arrested in in Paris, and he's the head of the secret army, which has been sort of created um, a short while earlier, um, the previous autumn, and um, in July nineteen forty-two. Mm. And this is part of Jean Moulin's work to kind of sort of galvanize the resistance and everything. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and so there's this urgent meeting to try and find who's going to be, you know, to work out who's going to be the the, the next head of the secret yeah. army. And one of the guys who's who's kind of absolutely lined up to do it um, is is a guy called Emil Schwarzfeld, who is a uh, retired in the French army, mm. and he's one of the people that's late, and he's always late for meetings. He's like famously late for meetings, <laughs> and, and so um, Jean Moulin and Raymond Aubrac. 
mm-hmm. uh, who is from Liberation, which is sort of left-leaning. And yeah. Mulan is left-leaning, even yeah. though de Gaulle is obviously right-leaning. Yeah. Um, and Schwarzfeld, they meet up at various points in Lyon and end up arriving at the place, at the doctor's house at the same time, at around three o'clock. Yeah. Meanwhile, upstairs, there's five people waiting in this meeting. It's, you know, the best part of three quarters of an hour late. It's supposed yeah. to be 2.15. And, you know, by all rules of kind of meetings and stuff, you should, you should, they should have bugged out by that point. You know, you yeah. absolutely shouldn't wait. Yeah. And yet one of the reasons why Mulan and Co and, and Obrak are late is because they don't want to arrive at once. And, you know, if they're still there after that time, then they should all be okay. But anyway, yeah. it's a sort of catalogue of cock-ups and yeah. mist trams yeah. 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 and yeah. people following them and all the rest of it. Anyway, at five past three, the, the Citroens screech up and it's Klaus Barbie and his hoods and everyone in the building is is arrested. But the thing is that... Because they're so late, the, the last three are so late, they're put in the reception room, the waiting yeah. room for the doctor. Yeah. The doctor's got an appointment going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the, so the lady in her drawers and, and you know, and down to her underwear and the doctor and the people in the waiting room, and there's two other people in the waiting room alongside um, Obrak, Mulan and Schwarzfeld, plus the five upstairs, everyone is arrested. <laughs> and only one person gets away, and this is Rene Hardy. Who's later yeah. tried as the, you know, for being for betraying him, um, and everyone else is taken to Monluk Prison. So anyway, Monluk was was built in in 1921, and it is your absolutely classic prison mm. with the kind of sort of the big atrium going all yeah. the way down the rows. You know, the cells either side, the kind yeah. of sort of you know the you know the the balustrade going around and yeah. the gaps in between, and all the rest of it, and the wooden doors with the single eye peep, blah blah blah. And anyway, so we we went to the, we first we went to uh, and they were taken there. And the thing is, they knew that Max, who was John Mulan's code name, was at the meeting, but they right. didn't know. The Germans didn't know yeah. which one is Max. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So Barbie is screaming at all of them, "Are you Max? You know which one of you is Max? You bastards!" Yeah. Yeah. And all the rest of it. So he takes them all one at a time and starts interrogating them. God. And you know he has ways of making them talk. Yes. And yes. Uh, and the whole rule is to kind of hold out for 48 hours, and that's to give everyone else a chance to scarper. But, of course, mm. they've got the lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and he'll be doing um, Prisoner's Dilemma on them, won't he? He says, your mates confess to everything. All that. Won't it? He'll be doing yeah. all of that all of that stuff. Uh, you know, he's already told me, so just confirm the details. It'll be all that, those yeah. mind games, as well as, the, as, well as his sort of more um, uh, direct methods. Yeah, his uh, more yeah. direct methods were whipping people with a with a with a knotted <laughs> leather thong, Christ. you know, whip thing, mm. and just giving them a really bad time. Obviously, that, so they were being interrogated at the um, hotel terminus, which was Klaus Barbie's headquarters. Yeah, and then trucked back to Monluk. Anyway, after two days, one of them talks. Right, everyone thinks it's Henri Aubry, who is one of the leading guys in combat. Mm. which is Henry Frenet's one, which is a more kind of right-wing one. Yeah, yeah, they're on the right, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, at that point, they know who Max is. So two days on from the 21st, on the 23rd, he he gets interrogated and then is subjected to a week of just absolutely unbelievable torture. I mean, this this business of not knowing who people are, there's a a reverse of this in... um uh, in Yugoslavia's when um, SOE go looking for Tito, they don't know who he is because it's a nickname. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that, that incredible? They're yeah, looking for this guy Tito, and they don't know. They don't know who they're looking for. So they might have been talking to him all along. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's quite quite extraordinary that that 
that you know uh, uh, when people have a nom- the people have nom de guerre for a reason, you know, and, and one of the reasons is so that you don't know who they are. It's quite yeah. extraordinary. Um, but what uh, they do to what he so what he does that so 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 Mulan just doesn't talk. He yeah. he doesn't say a word, and so they get it gets gets more and more. So so they start pulling out his fingernails. Yeah. Um, they then crush his fingers and they repeatedly ram a door into his fingers and hands. <sighs> then they beat his legs. Yeah. Um, they beat him around the head. Yeah. And after kind of five days of this, he he can't he can't stand. He can't walk. He can't write. And they get um, Christian Pinou, who is one of the resistors who's been arrested earlier on. He's not part of that one. He's already in Montluc. Mm. Before they then decide that they're going to take Mulan to Paris because the Paris SD, you know, Gestapo want to talk to him, right? But they want him to look respectable, so Pinot has to shave him. God, and so he sat there with this sort of bloodied, yeah, smashed up, swollen, face. smashed yeah. up face with one of his best, you know, one of his colleagues shaving him. Dear God, and it's just what's the point? Anyway, they get him to Paris and he's in a complete state. He's, by this point, he's in a coma and he dies in transit at some point of his injuries, having never, ever breathed a word. But what was amazing about this this trip mm. was that, first of all, we went to Dr. Dugujon's house, who, yeah. after his arrest, was eventually released, carried on being a doctor, lived his life. He's only 29 in 1943. When this happens, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's a young doctor and stayed there. And he doesn't, you know, he's still alive into the 1990s, maybe yeah. even the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. He lives to a good old age, and he lives in the same house, never moves, and it's basically unchanged. That's amazing. The, it's absolutely amazing. So you walk in, the moment you walk in, it's like it's like walking back in time. So the, the, the yeah. hall has got the same kind of, yellow, you know, sort of dull yellow and, and, and sort of brick-coloured tiles. Yeah. It's yeah. got that old kind of sort of dark wood banister with metal yeah. kind of balustrades. Yeah. It's got old school paint it just looks dark and a bit dingy in that kind of you know that kind of way that first yeah. half of 20th century french townhouses did yeah his his surgery rooms there the, the waiting room is quite small the same chairs are there so you can say well that's where moulin was sitting that's where schwarzfeld was sitting that's where obrack was sitting that's where the other two patients were sitting wow you can go upstairs there's the room where they all are, and the, and the seats around the table, and, you, and it says, you know, this is where Andre Lasagna was, this yeah. is where where um, Larat was, um, etc. So this is where Aubrey was sitting, this is where Rene Hardy was sitting, and it's exactly the same. So it's incredibly, you know, it's it's profoundly moving. Yeah, and, and that was really interesting. And then we went, then we went to Monluc, which was still a prison till. Something like 2012. Is it now a luxury hotel like the prison? In no, Oxford? it is absolutely <laughs> not a luxury hotel. It's 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 like a museum. It's like a working museum. Right, right brilliant. But you can go into cell 130, which was Moulin's cell. Bloody hell! And we know that because they didn't know he was called Jean Moulin. Yeah, they uh, his name was Jacques Martel. His, right, right, his right. Pseudonym. So, so that's where, and, and you can work out where Raymond Obrack was. You can work out where Christian Pinot was. All the, you know, they've because they've wow. got the Germans collect records of who was in what particular cell, and yeah. his cell was that one. And you know, it's it's horrible. It's really small. It's it's sort of you know, six foot by six or something like yeah. that. You know, and 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 high high roofed small window. You know, it's horrible. Jim, the Milice, they 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 just disappear back into. France, don't they? They disappear back into society. There isn't a, yes. So, the, so there's a so, bit so, of there's a bit there's of school bit... settling at the end of the war, isn't there? Like, for instance, yeah. in Paris, 
so there's some sort of stuff with criminal gangs, isn't there? Where, uh, bumping people off and all that sort of stuff that essentially the kind of Parisian mafia settled their own scores at the end of the war. But, but, yep. but beyond that, I mean, do, do they just, just as this, doc, just as the doctor goes back to being a doctor and his life resumes, are the police, are they like, you know, that there's yep. 200, if, if, yeah. if Barbie has 200 release, everyone must, must know who they are. Everyone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't, don't forget when, when Marcel Ophuls did his documentary, mm. uh, The Sorrow and the Pity. Yeah. Which came out, I think, in 1968 or 1969, something like yeah. that. It was banned on French television. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't allowed to be viewed. And and that was because after the war, de Gaulle said, Right, we've got a we've got a what actors call cancel and continue, where you forget you forget what's happened and you carry on. Cancel right. and continue. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and this is the whole point of elevating, you know, so at the time, obviously Jean Moulin is a very, very marginal figure in terms yeah. of the wider population. His, his reputation, I, I, I think he's entirely deserved. Yes. And I think he is one of the great Frenchmen, you know, and I think he is one of the great, great French heroes of the Second World War. Uh, you yeah. Know, I mean, just, just astonishing vision, single-mindedness, determination, mm. inspiration, truly astonishing courage to, to, to not bleat. When you know you're going to die, and when your your death is such a long, protracted, painful one, mm. I mean, I mean, it just doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No. Having your nails pulled out and having your no, fingers no, no. crushed in a door and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just, 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 and and to not give a single word, Thing. and we know that because there's no German reports on it, there's no write-ups, yeah. and because there are no uh, consequential actions and roundups afterwards, yeah, which is always a surefire. Yeah, sign that someone's bleated. But the reason he's elevated to where he is and his body is put in the Pantheon and all the rest of it is because he is the representation of the France that France wants to portray yeah. in its in its heritage. And and isn't it interesting that 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 tour guides in Lyon are going around going, This is where all the resistance was. It's like that every other person's a resistor. Yeah. And you know, Lyon has this kind of sort of reputation for being a being a, a place of protest. Like the hell it does. But ima- I mean you can only imagine the if it had happened here, the flips and twists that we'd of have put, put ourselves through to, in order of to Of course, but I can't tell you, you know, you, you, it all. you know, whatever admiration one has for these people, when you go to Monlet prison and you see and, you know, and you're having it spelt yeah. out to you what yeah. what happened to them. It's absolutely amazing. But I tell you, what, I'll just tell you one last thing about this, because when you go in, all the cells they've got photos of the people that were in those cells. And sometimes mm. there's several because obviously you know it's not just one person the whole time. Yeah. It's you know they rotate. Yeah. They're all on the doors in front of you. It's on the right hand wall. Yeah. But the first cell on the third floor, on the left hand side, as you come up the stairs, there's a picture of Klaus Barbie in that cell in 1983. And it's on the left hand, and it's on the left hand side. My God! Because when he was extradited, the first thing they do, they put him up. They gave it. They put him in that cell. Stuck him in that cell. Yeah, put him in there. And oh, the God. whole idea is is that all the people, all the prisoners, his prisoners, yeah. twelve thousand people that that were arrested and put in Monroe yeah. as a result of Klaus Barbie, are all looking at him. Looking at him. Yeah. Is that amazing? Isn't sim- I mean, symbolism is so much a part of all of this and of the history, and uh, uh, and and inevitably, inevitably so. Um, yeah. And now, all of this—you were filming all of this, weren't you? Uh, or you were yeah, posting, yeah, yeah. you're sending us videos, and those are going to be on the 
Um, uh, those are going to be on our Patreon, aren't they? The way I've always yeah. talked Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If and this is, for see all this. This, is, this is for a series called Hidden Histories of World War II. Oh, it, it, is it? Not hidden <laughs> anymore. Not hidden anymore. <laughs> hidden histories that are no longer hidden of histories of World War II. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fascinating. I, I suddenly thought, it occurred to me, you know, I've been sort of talking about doing, yeah, doing yeah. nonfiction fiction. If ever there's a book to be done, it's yeah. betrayal. The story of what happened to yeah, Jean yeah. Moulin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the yeah, different yeah. phrase, you've got, you've got triple agents involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Edme Delatraz, who's working for Georges Grusar, who is also working for the Dizian Bureau, who's also working for MI6. Well, and... And she gets, know, she, gets, she, gets, she gets caught red-handed by Robert Moog, who is adverse, seconded to the Gestapo. Yeah. And and she then go and, and he says, basically, you've got two choices. <laughs> you work for us or, you, or, yeah, or, that's, but, or you're kaput. Well, and, 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 and that, you know, that's... I don't know what I'd... Do in that situation, it's all very well going. Oh, you know, how do you do? But, but it's a well, she goes back to Grusar and says, "What do you want me to do?" And he says, "Stay, get, get, be." So she's actually a triple agent. Uh, that's a point that um, uh, Kate Vigas made in in her her talk at, at the festival with um, Claire Mully. Well, you know, you're presented with the opportunity to change sides or die. <laughs> uh, who knows what one would do in that set of circumstances? Well, and you can but, argue that she was pretty brave because she actually went back and, and yeah, 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 yeah. And, and said to yeah, Grusar yeah. and continued to be, and, well, and then went and the, to be a triple agent. But, but even but, doing that, they may, th- th- that's so risky because they may not trust you. They may just think, well, you've been turned anyway. So your own side, you know, your initial own side bumped you yeah. off for being, for being unreliable, for having been. Okay, well, there's two things, there's flipped. two things that she does. The first of all is she witnesses on the 7th of May, 1943, she witnesses a young student resistor called Robert Moulton revealing mm. the, to the Gestapo under extreme duress, the locations of three letterboxes, one of which is for Jean Moulin, Max, right. one of which is for Henri Aubry, yeah. combat, and the other one is for René Hardy, who's a railways expert for, yeah, for yeah. combat. Yeah. And um, on the day of the, the, the 21st of June, the day of the meeting, mm. she follows René Hardy to the meeting and reports back to the Gestapo. By me. And after the war is 100% protected by MI6. So what do you make of that? I mean, you know, it's incredible. It's Who absolutely incredible. Make of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the truth is, is you know, it's, it's what we touched on before. There's just, you know, the, the bigger the organisation, the, the more holes there are, yeah. different people. And, you know, you have all these rules and things that you've got to do. And, you know, you should never be, you know, you're guided to a, a location. You're only told where it is that, that day. And yeah. you're, you're not until you get there and all this kind of stuff. And hmm. But it's very easy to just sort of let any one of those parts kind of just slightly slip by the wayside. And yeah, it could have been so different. You know, he could have, you know, they could have got there and just suddenly thought, oh, you know what, I'm just not really feeling it. Let's just wait another five minutes. Yes, yes, exactly. The Gestapo yeah. turn up and he doesn't get caught. Yeah. Yeah. Luck. A lot of it. Contingency. I mean, you yes, know, yes, yes, yes. But I guess the more you do, you know, the more you're living in that world, that world of shadows, the more, you, you know, the, the, the your luck's going to run out. It's just like yeah. being a member of a German tank, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we take a break and then we'll come back yeah, to the go. stuff I've been nosing around in? Yeah, go on. So, uh, okay, brilliant. We'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Eyes to Make You Talk. Um, uh, so, so Jim, you've been you've been on the trail of Jean Moulin and uh, yeah. or Max. And you've, been on the, you've been looking for Max, Max. Yeah, I've been looking and for I've Max. started I've started in earnest with um, 
figuring out this uh, my uh, one day in Arnhem book and how I'm going to I'm going to present. Oh, it. fantastic! Yeah, how are you getting on? Well, so I found a medic, an account by a medic that is absolutely fascinating. A guy called um, Stuart Mawson, who was the uh, medical officer Eleven Para. Hmm. So they they arrive in the second lift, then they they come up, they go through to beat, they come along the li- lower road, Lion Route, and then he sets up a a, 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 a dressing station, a DS. In that stretch, after the, you know, where you go under the railway? Yes. And then there's that stretch up to like mm-hmm. a, the last sort of three quarters yes, of a mile. Yes, it sort of slightly rises up to the left, That's doesn't right. it? Up, and it? And you cut, and then you come up at the at the junction where the yes. road re splits, right? Yeah. So he sets up a he sets up a dressing station somewhere along there in the morning. Yes, and that's, that's a hospital, isn't it? Just, well, not, just well, the, the, not, not quite. It's it's a bit, before it's a bit before the, that. Yeah, the hospital's, the hospital's opposite where Roy Oka ends up hiding out. Literally that's the it, other yeah, side of the street, it. but yeah, it's yeah, further yeah. down, so it's further west. And he and he, he he's there with his two sergeants, and it's all ticking over nicely. And he's thinking, well, I'll set up a casualty, uh, I'll set up a dressing station. And he hears of a he, uh, and and at nine thirty in the morning, Roy Urquhart comes through in a jeep, having escaped, mm-hmm. um, and asks him lots of questions with his penetrating eyes and all this sort of thing and says where you know you do know that another another 400 yards up the road in a barn is is a proper uh, is a proper regimental aid post right you do know about that don't you yes sir okay thank you sir and all that and then what happens is 11 powers attack deteriorates it's absolutely fascinating because he because he he suddenly realizes he's not in touch with any of his officers and he starts to think I, I don't know what to do. What do I do? What, what's happening? Yeah, what his, do you do when you're suddenly left on your own and everything's kind yeah, of... And, 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 and he's the, he is the battalion MO, right? So he's got to figure out how to... Uh, and he knows about the hospital because St. Elizabeth yeah. Hospital, 131 parachute ambulance, field ambulance are always going to go there. That's part of the plan. They will always use that hospital. So he knows about the hospital, but he's also he's also supposed to stay in touch with the battalion HQ, and and, and they'll make a decision out. So because the parachute field ambulance is, is is brigade provision, and then each battalion has its own medical provision internally, right? Got it. And, and they're very well provided for. I mean, it's so interesting. They are supplied to uh, a 10, ca- 10 casualties for for forty eight hours, but also to have provision for eleven to twelve days. Uh, care for men with mm-hmm. abdominal w- wounds because a man with an abdominal wound you do not move if you possibly can for 10 to 12 days right so that so they've got this sort of narrow provision for all other kinds of wounds two-day provision that they bring with them every glider has two stretchers and blankets in it every single glider right huh. they, they and they, but they also have this idea of a sort of deep a deep provision of 10 to 12 days for people with stomach wounds abdominal wounds so there's this sort of there's this the, the hospitals and then the MOs with the with the with the battalions. Anyway, so Mawson finds himself in this situation, and he's got two sergeants with him. We've been in North Africa. It's his first operation, and he's relying on them for their experience. He's going, where should we set up the the, the dressing station? What do you think, chaps? What do you think, Sergeant Dwyer? And Dwyer goes, well, I don't know that this is the right place, sir. To be honest, I think it's a bit too close to where things are happening. But what about here? And they find a house with a garage. And they go and ring the, he knocks on the door and the family appear and say, thank God you're here. We're liberated. Wonderful. And he's like, and they say, first of all, do you want to clean yourself up? Cause he's filthy. Mm. So he, he goes in the bathroom and he washes his hands and he's thinking it's all neat and tidy in here. I cannot turn this into a dressing station. 
right? Because it's all so nice. So he says to them, can I use the garage then? They go, yeah, there's no car in there. We'll move the stuff into the garden anyway. So he uses their garage, goes back to the sergeants and says, their house is too nice. I can't possibly make a mess of it, right? It's all so strange and like granular, all this, right? And then um, and then basically um, at about noon, although the timings are all slightly out, the German counterattack against Levin Power happens and the shit completely hits the fan, right? And these jeeps come back and then the men start coming back and right. he stops as a corporal who's, who, you know, and he describes it. The corporal's got a cigarette in his corner of his mouth and won't call him sir. And he's going, where do you think you're going corporal? And he's going, well, we're heading back. Why? And the, and a company Sergeant major appears and, and, and you know, why are you, why are you withdrawing? Well, the jeep, the jeeps were withdrawing. Well, why were the jeeps withdrawing? Well, I told them to withdraw to get them out of the range of the mortars. And so basically there are no officers uh, 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 no one's in touch with any officers and things start to like not panic sets in but people think well i'm going i, I need to get out of this mortar barrage right and they start uh, and 11 power starts to sort of drift back down the road he can't at one point this company sergeant major says to him what do we do sir and he thinks well i'm a medical officer i don't know <laughs> yeah don't ask me and he says well surely you can work that out for yourself sergeant Sergeant Major and the company Sergeant Major and puts people in th into their dispositions, dispositions. But one of the big problems is the corporal who he's arguing with, they make this clear. He's with a bunch of lads in a house. They're not in touch with anyone else. They're used to, they're, they're used to manoeuvring on Salisbury Plain in, you know, in, yeah, yeah. in, in infantry style. They're, everyone in each house is cut off from everyone else in the way that Roy Urquhart, obviously when he's in the, when Urquhart's in the attic, he doesn't know, What's going on around him? There's a there's a padre and on the floor below him, also hiding, and they don't know about each other. Oh right. my god! So it's total right. mayhem, really, isn't total, it? Total, complete mayhem. And then there's a massive mortar barrage, and Mawson basically runs away. And in his in his account goes, I, I just took flight. I, I I don't know what I know what came over me. I needed to get away from the mortaring, and I just ran off. And he <laughs> runs off, and he finds himself back at the at the barn, the main casualty clearing place that 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 Urquhart's told him about earlier, finds right. himself there, makes himself useful. There's a Dutch woman, a nurse, who's helping out. And he yep. says to her, and then his sergeant turns up and he, and he, and he thinks, oh, shit, they're going to really, I, I should be ashamed of myself because I ran off. And they're like pretty like, well, you know, you did what you had to do, mate. Don't worry about it. So they then, they then decide... He then decides that he's be and and there's men streaming back. He just and this is kind of after one thirty. He decides that what he ought to do is is get back to the divisional area. And everyone's thinking we should get back to the divisional area. So in other words, Hartenstein Schurnord at the crossroads because because one of the field amb field ambulances is set up properly at the Schurnord, right? Because they can't go forward to the um, uh, St. Elizabeth Hospital. And one of, it, one of his mates comes by, a guy called Lawson. So Mawson and Lawson, these two pals. Lawson goes forward to the St. Elizabeth Hospital, ends up there and ends up working there for the rest of the battle and then, and then afterwards when the hospital carries on. But basically, Mawson goes back to the Shornord. Um, Warwick is in charge there and Marable are, are, are the two sort of main medical characters. And they basically, they get him to pull himself together and, and then he starts working there and is there for the rest of the campaign but it, it and the Shornod, you know they've improvised it because it's on the road everyone's coming down off the landing zone on yeah, yeah. a drop zone on day two coming down over the wolfhazer crossroads then down the main road and then up the utrecht face so it's the perfect then they're all going down to line route so it's the perfect place 
to put the to put a a, a, a field you know a a, a, a hospital yeah, yeah. but it's 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 it absolutely and where did you find him i realized somewhere in this not in my endless piles of arnhem books i had this Ar- arnhem parachute doctor i think it's called and i thought right well i'll re i read this years ago i'll reread it and it's and it's based on his diary it's his diary and it's oh, fantastic it, it's so good and basically so this nurse then at the end of the tuesday night this dutch nurse once darkness has fallen because because the germans don't move on Oosterbeek until the wednesday you know, everyone's regrouping on the Tuesday night. This sort of fighting stopped. She says, oh, I'm going home now. And he's like, you can't, wow. you can't go home. She goes, no, I'll go home. I need to check on my parents. And she goes, right? Yeah. And the next morning, he's there again. And he's like, what? <laughs> How's this possible? And she stays in the Shornod, basically. And, um, you know, and the hospital's being, is caught in the battle at this point and changes hands a couple of times in the rest of the battle. It's absolutely fascinating. And then I, uh, it really and, is. And then I, so then I looked. Up, I, I found that there's a there's a there's a sort of official history of the of the REMC in airborne forces. It's so interesting. Like oh, really, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. A thing called um, on wings of healing, right? So they develop these, they develop all this special equipment and techniques. So by the end of the war, they realised that ten percent of casualties need urgent surgery. Surgical teams could average one point operations per hour. But they had to be relieved after 12 hours if they're going to work again the next day because of the stress. In all, a field ambulance could cope with 330 cases in 24 hours. Now, casualty rate at Arnhem is sky high. So, so they're working completely flat out. Um, it's shown that um, overall mortality of cases reaching the field ambulance was 1%, but the mortality for more abdominal wounds was between 30 and 40%. So the one you don't want is the abdominal abdominal wound. They can't deal with it. They develop... It, it, they develop all this uh, folding airborne stretcher, the trestle, folding suspension bar, airborne operating t- t- uh, table, the airborne inhaler, um, special containers for whole blood and plasma. They, they develop these packs called Don and Sugar. So the Don pack has anesthetics, drugs, serum, dressings, tins of tea milk, sugar powder, cubes of meat extract, cigarette soap and candles. And the Sugar pack has anesthetics, drugs and bandages, gauze and swabs and plaster of Paris. So they've got these packs, like they've got it, they've got it all worked out. Um, how they're going to run it, what their war establishment is, how many officers they need, how they need to, you know, like devolve it to battalion as well as these sort of brigade level field ambulances. The effort is absolutely in- incredible. It sounds it. And then, and then the nor in Normandy. So in Normandy, the difference is there. The difference is the key difference is in Normandy, six airborne are relieved Im- pretty much immediately, but they're in in the line a lot longer, right? So. There's the there's the um, t- t- surgeries that they perform 397 actual surgeries the the field ambulance um, uh, in Normandy and they are 16 multiple penetrating wounds 22 single penetrating wounds 11 simple fractures 108 compound fractures 63 penetrating wounds of abdomen one a case of acute appendicitis <laughs> so they're doing everything yeah uh, a whole six, lot six penetrating wounds of brain. Eight facio-maxillary wounds, large vessel wounds, uh, four, 72 amputations, one burns, one extraction of bullets, one reduction of dislocations, suprapubic cystotomy, which doesn't bear thinking about, which is something to do with uh, uh, flesh wounds, including arterial hemorrhage, 39, interthoracic wounds, six, penetrating joint wounds, seven, spine wounds, four, miscellaneous wounds, four. So they're 397 operations. And that's, that's in the field ambulance. That's not going back. That's incredible, isn't it? 379. 
397, Jim. You think of the effort. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and and obviously, the, the, the medical establishment, it's then decided that whatever happens, whatever your whatever your decision is about your airlift, the medical the medical is as prioritized as anything else because you've got to look you've got to look after the men and and, and it's going to be really really difficult so you've you know you, you you've you, and you've got chaplains RESC everything in order to d- deliver this field ambulance requirement it's absolutely amazing this so then I start looking into the padres and the, and this sent me nosing around in the Cornelius Ryan papers I found George Pear who's one of the padres um his account he be- he buries general cussin no on Tuesday the nineteenth, wow! He's, the German he's our, killed in the Citroen. He sent to, it killed in the Citroen, and the, and and his. So he 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 wrote an unpublished account of uh, of and, and most of it's not about the battle. It's about afterwards. It's about dealing with the prisoner of war situation and the wounded and all this sort of stuff and being being in the bag and all that. And it, uh, anyway, this is amazing. On my return, Mister Harlow asked me to bury a German general whose body was still leaning out of a car where he'd been shot about half a way, mile away along the main road towards Wolfhazer. It had been arranged that prisoners should do the digging. A pilot arrived as escort, bringing so a glider pilot, because the, that's the thing that glider pilots are doing to start with, is organising prisons and stuff, bringing two young SS soldiers aged 17 and 18 who were both wearing their camouflage smocks. They sat on the bonnet of the jeep. We drove off. The German general was certainly badly shot up, and with it were those of the Batman and interpreter. His car had been ambushed on the Sunday and was riddled with bullets. Near their bodies was that of a young Dutch woman, which I did not touch. The two Nazis started to dig the grave at the roadside, for I decided to have a common burial for the three. The prisoners had received no food as they had been promised, so I gave them a bar of chocolate and cigarettes. I could not feel animosity, t- animosity towards them. While German planes came over and we moved into the shelter of some trees, they stared a conversation. Don't you think the war is foolish? I asked. No. Why not? Germany must live. She is living. Yes, but we must have space to live. You have enough space enough. But you have an empire. We must fight. Several questions, <laughs> several questions, and answers gave me similar similar replies. Wow. Then, right? So then they completes the barrel. We return to HQ. All seemed to be going well, and everyone had prepared some sort of food. Earl dug a trench, and at about four o'clock, the cry went up: third lift here." And this is the other reason why the Tuesday's good because you get a lift. Right, so you can talk about what's happening in England. Third lift here. Fighters came in, followed by Sterlings, towing um, uh, um, gliders and other aircraft with parachute supplies. Suddenly, there was the most awful crescendo of sound, and the air simply vibrated to a tremendous barrage of guns. Whether where they were and where they had come from, we had no idea. But all we could do was to gaze in stupefaction at so many of our friends going to inevitable death. It was terrible. Prayers must have come to all our hearts as to mine as we watched the in agony, the terrible drama. Bombers writhed, but they seemed so terribly slow, and one wondered how any glider could live at all. These huge aircraft, used to flying at 15,000 feet at night, were coming in at 1,500 at daylight. It was heroic in the extreme. We saw more than one machine blazing away and yet continuing on its course until every parachute had dropped out. It must have been an inferno inside the machine. And here were our reinforcements landing in it all. It was shocking. It now became borne in on us all that we had terrible opposition. A signal had been sent asking for parachute supplies to be dropped on our HQ, but hardly anything did. This is just, he sees this drop, and that's when, for him, the penny drops. They're, they're done for. You know, it, it, it's quite, it's quite extra, extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to Kate DeHorst's house. So um, uh, this guy, Pear, absolutely. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, you, you can see that Ryan's, un, un, you know, underlinings and all this sort of stuff. 
you know, him and another Padre meet and they discuss the business of wearing a dog collar because one of them's not wearing a dog collar. He says, you probably ought to right. put, put a dog collar on because you're going to get, you're going to get shot. And then he, on his next rounds, he's, he is then injured by a mortar bomb. This other Padre, I mean, nothing you can do about a mortar bomb. It's absolutely incredible. One of the, one of the Padres loses an arm and loses the will to live because, because he knows he'll never be able to um, do mass again, administer mass again. Wow. One of the Catholic Padres. I've got loads of stuff here. I've got Boy Browning, Eddie Newbury, George Chatterton, George Taylor, Graham Warwick, James Sims, John Frost, and Tony Jones. I've got all their accounts. Yeah, yeah. Sims is the Sims is Arnhem Spearhead is the famous, um, uh, uh, well, famous little book, which is really good because he because he talks very much. This about, is all the this is all the Ryan stuff. Yeah, yeah. The Ryan stuff's the Ryan stuff's really really good. So it's all online now, is it? You go to Ohio, Ohio University Libraries Digital Archive Collection. Yeah, in Athens. There it is. There it is. I mean, this is box 117, folder one GA pair that I'm looking at right now. I remember driving there for the first time, and I, it was quite a long drive, and I'd come from, from, from Pennsylvania. I was, and it was quite late by the time I got into Athens, and I was absolutely desperate for a pee. Really, really desperate. So I was speeding into town. I got pulled over by the fuzz. And, right. um <laughs> And he said, yeah, you know, you're going a little bit fast, aren't you? And I said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm just absolutely desperate for a, for a pee. And he just laughed and let me off. Really? Yes. I got nicked for he speeding. He said, you better get on, get going then. So I, did. I got pulled over for speeding near, near Cape Kennedy when we were on a family holiday. And, uh, and did that. I'm awfully sorry, old boy. I had absolutely no idea this was the speed limit. And they let us off. That's so funny. <laughs> it's amazing, though. So the, I love the covering letters. Dear Reverend Pear, your name appears in the records of those who may have taken part in the yes. assault on Holland in September 1944. I'm therefore writing to ask you for your help with some research that we are doing on behalf of Mr. Cornelius Ryan, author of The Longest Day and more recently The Last Battle. Would you be kind enough to answer the following questions? So, so there's a questionnaire they all fill in. Yeah, that's um, right. Which is, which is, which is amazing. No. I'd say what he had is in the, 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 in, in, the, um, in the library, the University of Athens, Ohio University Library. Yeah. They've got a little kind of part of the library is a sort of museum to Cornelius Ryan. They've got various right. objets there. And one yeah. of the things they've got is they've got um, Tojo's um, tortoiseshell cigarette box. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's quite cool. Because, of course, he was there at the surrender, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so... Uh, the- How fantastic. It's so exciting, isn't it? It's great I want funding. A, I, want, I want a medic, a sapper... A gunner, yes. A, one of the colonels, so you know, and doing yeah. doing it that so doing it that way, but yeah. also using the medic representative to, spread. Well, but to talk about the state of medicine yeah. by that point, to talk about Talks what gunner, gunnery is, what engineering is, you know, like what what infantry is. I mean, all the stuff, all the stuff about. I mean, there's, there's that. I was reading that very interesting essay about the manpower um, crisis that surrounds um, uh, Market Garden, yes, um, and and the fact that. It's very, very interesting that, you know, guards armoured, one of the things about guards armoured is they, because they're, they're, they're the guards, they're... Oh, yes, I saw a little bit of that on Twitter. Because that's, that's in that Buckley collection, isn't it? I went to that conference. That they're allowed, the guards are allowed to recruit whoever they want. The guards are outside the army. They are not part yes. of the army, technically. So they run their is own... So? They run their own courses, their own training. They do not cross post. They don't go east of Suez. They... um. And there's this whole thing. Monty says we need to break up some of the guards because we need more line infantry. We need more bayonets for line. Yeah, right? they don't need to be in tanks, do they? Uh, exactly. And the guards basically, it doesn't happen because the guards are t- uh, Churchill. Churchill starts going. Well, they we all know the guards are better troops than everyone else, so we don't want to break up an elite formation. And this no, essay, really, basically, well, that's the that's the that's the thing. That's the really interesting thing. And um, uh, they're slightly uh, and, better healed. 
at an officer level. And they're all tall. It's not great <laughs> if you're in a tank. Well, exactly. Exactly. Well, or, or trying to hide behind a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that as well. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it makes this very interesting point that basically you end up with this Everyone's running out of people, and you know, and the guards have been in the line a really long time, and they're you know they're exhausted by the time of market guard. Every single battalion is under strength. Every single armored regiment is under strength. It's all it's all lots of wastage, and on and again, it's that thing on paper. Thirty corps is this sort of great big bustling um, formation, but actually by by September, having especially having fought you know Kampfgruppe Chill around the Albert Canal, they're they're not they're not what they could be. Yeah. Um. Um. But but there is a block on replacements. Because they won't, they won't allow themselves to be broken down into line infantry. They won't, they won't let anyone interfere. In fact, with their with their arrangements, their formations, and and you know, Adair is as far as Montgomery got, is, regards it. Adair is the only man he can't sack because he's a guard. He, he, do he you says, think he should be sacked? Well, no, I don't know. That's not the point. Monty says, I can't sack him. It's impossible. And he writes to Churchill and says, we need to, we need to revise this. And the, so the RAF are supposed to provide, RAF regiment is supposed to provide 15,000 people t- for the guards, right? Really? And can only find 1,500, right? Wow. It, it, it's really, really, it's really, really interesting. And, it, you know, it's that, it's that classic point of the spear thing that, you know, actually Monty's rifle strength is... A lot less than it than it looks, you know. Of his, yeah, of his yeah, yeah. hundred sixty thousand men at his disposal, or whatever his rifle strength is, is is nothing is obviously nothing like that. Um, uh, uh, and and he talks about, you know, one of the this essay. Uh, I'll I'll just I'll just pull it up because it's it's very very interesting that part of the part of the manpower crisis thing um, manifests itself in the fact that first airborne division are desperate to. So it's by John Peaty. Um, the First Airborne Division are desperate to go into action because they're worried about being turned into line infantry, which is, after all, what happens to 52nd Lowland Division. Because 52nd Lowland Division are elite mountain soldiers, strategic reserve, all that sort of stuff. And then they're basically turned into line infantry. Yeah, here's the point. He says, um, uh, uh, I mean, th- th- these are the numbers you've been kicking about um, in Savage Storm as well, the proportions. So um, uh, at the end of September, the British Army had 16 infantry divisions in or available for the field, of which half were in 21st Army Group. Of these eight, one was in process of disbandment because of a manpower crisis, the 59th, shortly to be replaced by Britain's last uncommitted infantry division, the 52nd, Lowland. In round figures, each had a war establishment, i.e. authorised strength of 18,400, of which only 7,600 was in the division's nine rifle infantry battalions. Right? So... So it's 40% is in your rifle battalions. Therefore, at the end of September, the authorised strength of Monty's infantry divisions were around 147,200, and the authorised strength of their rifle infantry battalions, which was under strength and which for, for which reinforcements could not be provided, was about 60,800. However, while the um, uh, war establishment of an infantry battalion was about 850, only 400 of them were riflemen. So these numbers are getting smaller and smaller. And so how smaller. come? So what else are you having in them? Well, this is what this, this is what he's saying. I don't saying. understand that because there are eight hundred and fifty men in a in an infantry battalion. I mean, there's not well, that much room for clock anti tank people. Um, mortar really? But you have you have four companies A B C D. Well, this is what he's, 120 this is, men. This is so what's that? this is what he's this is what he's saying, right? 
Therefore, there are only 3,600 riflemen in infantry division, making a total of only 28,800 riflemen in Montgomery's Actually, infantry Actually, that's fair, because if, if you've got four, four companies of 125 yeah. men... So there are, of course, many more infantry battalions in the field beside those in the infantry divisions, in armoured divs, non-divisional infantry brigades, and on their own. However, this figure of 28,800 is key. It's essential to appreciate that the spear wielded by Montgomery had an extremely small point. And then it's also essential to appreciate at this point... That it, it was at this point that it which suffered the most casualties. So between D-Day and the end of August, 21st Army Group sustained 70,000 battle casualties, of which over yeah. 39,000, 56% were rifle infantry. But they're only making up 14% of the army. Exactly. You know, and then he gets into Wigram talking about, in a typical Wigram's assessment, an understrength platoon of 22 men, six men will be gutful, go anywhere and do anything. 12 will be sheep who will follow if well led and four to six will be cowards. <laughs> like- yes. Yeah, so you would have, you would have, so yeah, you, an infantry battalion is 845 men, 809 um, other ranks, 36 officers, four rifle companies, A, B, C, D, each with, yeah, what would that be? 100, 125 men or something. Yeah. So each with a platoon, and then you have headquarters, signal platoon, administrative platoon, support company, three-inch mortar platoon, carrier platoon, anti-tank platoon, pioneer platoon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloody hell, yeah. You see? You're absolutely right, aren't you? You see? It's, it, it stacks up because, because after all, you know, divisions have to be able to do everything as a self-contained. You know, this is why, this is, I mean, you know, come back to Arnhem. They're three, the, 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 the parachute battalions have three companies apiece. Uh, their established strength is at, at most 540 people. So that brings your rifle companies down to be quite small, really, once you've once you've factored in everybody else. Yeah, so hold on a minute. So so yeah, <laughs> so you have in your company headquarters, yeah, you have 14 officers and other ranks and two officers. So you have a company commander, second yep. in command. Yeah. So what's that? That's sixteen in company headquarters. Yeah. And then you have three platoons of forty-six. So let's let's work that out. Um, well, thirty-seven rather. Three. Uh, so three times thirty-seven equals one hundred eleven plus seventeen. Yeah. So one hundred twenty-eight times four is five hundred twelve. So three hundred thirty-three are not in the rifle companies. Yeah. There it is, Jim. This is the issue, and this is this is why. You know, the, the, this the, is why I love I love the I love the pyramid. You know, the the triangle. You know, you've got you've got it, it, it serves. I'm, I've done this so many times on you know Sword Beach or wherever, where you draw a kind of in the sand and you go bottom. The bottom line of the the long base of the triangle is yep. sixteen thousand men. The top bit of the tri- of the triangle, two companies, yeah, from two battalions of two brigades, yeah. Which are actually doing the landing, yeah, and it's about a thousand men. <laughs> well, and, and when it comes down to it, Frost's lead platoon, Jack Graben, who are supposed to take the railway bridge and then the road bridge. I mean, what? You're 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 landing two brigades and one. It's you, you know what I mean. It, it, but because in the end, it does come to it, it and then and that brings you back to when when things are going wrong and you've got different groups of blokes in different houses who can't speak to each other and can't communicate with each other and don't know what's happening. No wonder it's no wonder things can run out of control. You know? Yeah. Amazing. It's so, it's so interesting all this. Isn't and, it? Uh, 
Um, and the, I mean, the, the Ryan papers are, I mean, it's a really, <laughs> yeah, it's, Joey's it's just, a but great... we have ways of making you count. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you need, well, you need the number, you need the numbers at your, at your fingertips, don't you? That, 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 yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And, the, and this puts the, it, it, this puts you smack in the middle of, of, of how it comes down to the individuals. And it puts you back into that question of, yes, fine. You know, yes, fine. You can replace all the tanks and you can replace the carriers that are destroyed and you, you've got the artillery shells you need and all that, but the people still have to do it. And when it comes down, you know, zoom in on the rifleman or the medic turns it into something else, doesn't it? It turns it into the human yeah, drama that we keep yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. Well, yes. there's food for thought if ever there and was someone, one. Someone, someone's offered us one of the, one of the gunner diaries. So I, I, I'm going to, because the gunnery at Arnhem is really, really interesting as well, that, 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 that it worked. And then it, you know, that, that they actually, once they got their net running, um, the, the, the battery was providing you know, supporting fire for the battle in the town, firing on the brickworks with a 17-pounder, which obviously would have gone straight through the brickworks and out the other side, but but <laughs> would have would have caused some discomfort to the yeah, um, yeah. people people who were firing across the river and interfering with the push into the town. Anyway, there's less. There's just so much to talk about. Wow. Things, but there? how exciting you're getting stuck in. That's that's. Um, um, well, I'm really enjoying it. Um, yeah, uh, that's terrific. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. It is great. Um, a brief word, though. I know uh, you know the festival's a couple of weeks ago now. It's fading into the distance, but um, I don't know about you. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I loved it. Really good <laughs> the, fun, wasn't it? it was the um, one thing that one thing I want to remark on is how generous people were um, in regards to the fundraising efforts. For, Fantastic! For Twelve thousand pounds touch. or something you raised over the. Well, yes. Yeah, so just the just the toy the model tanks the toy tanks right. The Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry in one thirty fifth scale, five thousand seven hundred fifty five pounds and twenty one p. I want you to have a word with the person who put the twenty one p in, right? But that is um, that is absolutely amazing, and to see it laid out in front of us, and there was a there was some muttering about thirty core for next year, modelling the whole of thirty core. But I, I think, <laughs> well, you know, it gives it gives people an opportunity to do a few Cromwells. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and a few other interesting things and half tracks and whatnot. But, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm very happy with my my Sherwood Rangers tank, which is now uh, it's it's sitting on top of my Burkhoff brick. Which one um, did you get? Oh, which who's, who made that one? I'm not sure to be perfectly honest, but it's a it's a very nice one, and um, it's got lots of mud and really good stowage. Wonderful. So well, there you go. I mean, and just I just like a- to say, the last thing I'd like to say is the Savage Storm is published on Thursday. Yes, this week, twenty first and- of of september and um and by god it's fantastic um uh well um, thank you that's very kind. well well no because you gave me a copy um uh you didn't Looks sign nice, it doesn't it you didn't sign it though didn't i no yeah well, all right, what's the time. point of this an unsigned copy of the savage storm well maybe maybe that <laughs> rarity the rare, value the rarity value the, all the old jokes um um I, i've been dipping back into it because obviously when you read it when you read a thing as an audiobook it, you sort of read it in one great like kind of wide-eyed torrent um uh, and you don't sit and go hmm that's interesting and flick back and you can't do all the things you normally do with a book you read it out loud um and you and you you push on and so i've been dipping back into it and it's so good jim and it and it and um and it and it really taught it really talks about the thing we were just talking about this moment ago, which is which is that what is a division? Well, it's individual people. Well, I'm really pleased. I've had a couple of reviews so far, and they've all picked up on the kind of contemporary nature of the of the human 
stories, which I'm really pleased about. Um, and I'm, you know, I've been reading back because I've got a massive. I've got sort of three weeks of on and off of, of of talks all around the country. So that starts tomorrow night. Well, today, I suppose, when it comes out, Tuesday the 19th, I'm going to be at the National Army Museum in the evening if anyone wants to come along. Um, so that's exciting. And, um, you know, it's good to get a go. So I've been, I've been kind of going back to it again and, and trying to kind of get, get what I'm going to say together and trying to kind of focus on – I keep sort of thinking – I've got to put that bit in in the talk. You know, I'm in danger of talking for three hours. <laughs> no, this old well, problem. This yeah. old problem, but anyway. Yeah, I can't do it without that bit. Oh, yeah. you're going to need that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to focus. It, I'm going to focus mainly on the experience of it. I think. I think that's a, yeah. that, in the talk. Well, that's the that's thing that's really vivid. Really, really vivid in the book. Yeah, well, uh, I think. Yeah. I'm pleased with it. it looks looks lovely. It looks. They've done a, an amazing job to turn that around in such a short period of time, yeah. and it's really handsome with all the pictures and all yeah. the maps yeah. and gubbins yeah. and stuff you anyway. do an excellent job batting for mark clark as well it has to be said <laughs> yeah i might give him a slightly harder time in um, <laughs> the next one but you know <laughs> <laughs> i keep finding all these little things i sort of think gosh i should put that in yeah. <laughs> anyway well listen good luck in salford thanks oh um uh, yes we start in salford this week with the crown jewels if you're coming to see us um, please do. It's lots of fun. Then we're in Canterbury. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. Then we get Cardiff. Then we're in Milton Keynes. And one of the great things about Milton Keynes is... You can go and stay with the Colonel. Nah. Well, that, obviously. Uh, but Tamia are based in Milton Keynes and have invited me to visit. <laughs> I was thinking, what are you going to say? Parents, let's no, 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 no. Tamia. I'm going to be allowed to poke around in uh, 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 whatever they've got in Milton Keynes. So, uh, I'll probably pop to Bletchley as well. She'll go and say hello to the people at Bletchley. I might take the cast to Bletchley Park and try and explain to them how um, Ultra worked. I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> that should be your quest. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, uh, we're, 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 well, well, there'll be some Savage Storm stuff on Thursday, won't there, Jim? Yeah. That's what we're planning. Probably yep. one of the, a chapter from the book. Yeah, I think um, I think the prologue and chapter one, I think, which beautifully read by you, I think that's yeah. going to be out on Thursday. Brilliant, Give super. A little bit of a taster. Fantastic. Um, and over on the Patreon, um, uh, the videos of Jim uh, and Jean Moulin, which we were talking about earlier, which feels like a long time ago because we've talked about an awful lot, which has been been a classic. <laughs> uh, we have ways today. Um, uh, see you all very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Cheerio.